Welcome to WP Tonic Roundtable Podcast, where a panel of leading WordPress junkies discusses the latest WordPress and internet stories of the week. Now, on with the show with your moderator, Jonathan Denwood. Welcome back, folks, to the WP Tonic Roundtable Show. This is episode 509. We recalled this around 8.30 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. I've got a small panel, but a powerful panel. Um, other people have just disappeared for the 4th of July weekend. Others are probably in the boozer and haven't managed to get back from the UK. They're still bloody boozing themselves up. But like I say, I've got a small but powerful panel, so I'm going to let them introduce themselves. First of all, my friend Uncle Spencer. Oh, Spencer, would you like to introduce yourself? <laughs> You'll be hearing a lot more from me today than usual. Spencer Foreman from launchflows.com. That's great. And I've got my friend Vito. Vito, would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, so I'm Vito. I'm the founder of uh, WP Feedback, which is a communication platform designed for WordPress professionals and their clients. Great. So let's get on. Um, before going to the main stories, I'd like to talk about my sponsors. First of all, Kinster. Kinster have um, been a sponsor for WP Tonic for over almost three years now. And they're a great hosting company. They only specialize in WordPress. And one of the main things you get with Kinsta, apart from all the technology and a great UX design, blah, 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 is you get really fantastic support, not only for yourself, but for your clients. And if you've got critical um, websites, taking a fair bit of money through membership, WooCommerce, Having good hosting support is really important. We all know that. So if that sounds interesting for yourself and for your clients, I suggest you go over to Kinster, um, tell them that you heard about them on the WP Tonic Show, and maybe buy one of their packages. Uh, another one of our great sponsors and a friend of the show is WP Fusion. Now, um, what can I say about WP Fusion? If you've got any kind of modern external CRM system, like Active Campaign, um, Drift, there's a there's a host of them, um, and you need your WordPress website to really communicate with those CRMs, so you get a modern marketing environment. You can't go wrong by purchasing one of WP Fusion's packages and using their plugin. So go over to their website, have a good look at their support documentation, and you'll be amazed what you can do with WP Fusion and with your CRM. So let's go into story one. Flywheel relaunches local local pro. (coughs) Sorry, folks. Um, With revamped live links, new hosting agnostic pre-launch tools what do you think of this spencer i'm going to take a since <laughs> since we, we're going to have to fill some space today i'm going to take a little uh, contrarian point of view um <clears throat> for several years i have refused to do local development what is to say i do on the fly live development and that means that i just use a um, any kind of uh, SFTP connection. I, I mean, if I'm on my Mac, I'll use something like Transmit or you could use whatever. I modify the WordPress on a sandbox site live. So when I developed like uh, the LaunchFlows plugin, I did it live. And the reason I did it that way was because there are so many variables involved in a dynamic WordPress website, especially one involving membership or marketing automation, that it, to my mind's eye, is foolish to develop locally when the outcome of what's going to happen with the plugin has so much to do with what's happening in the array of things on the website. And furthermore, we've got automatic backups. So in other words, uh, I have lots of other preferences and I've used a few, but you know, um, manage WP is a, a simple. So I just say, Hey, it's constantly backing it up every hour. If something goes horrendously wrong, I can either revert it in my text editor if I catch it, or I just go, oh, something's not right. I go back to an hour before. Problem solved. So for me, I don't any longer see the value of local development tools because at the end of the day, if let's say you're doing it on an existing site uh, with clients, if you try to take a copy of what you're doing offline, do stuff to it, and then re-merge it into a live site with real customers, 
God bless you. You are a greater person than me. All right, there you go. What do you reckon, Vito? Um, so we said before this, uh, before the broadcast started, that uh, Spencer and I might agree on some things. Uh, so I agree. <laughs> uh, like um, I've always been up for developing uh, in the browser, um, except for when I first started, because I started, you know, I started when when like I was building uh, offline. You know, like first of all, the internet wasn't really stable. I was touring and all that kind of stuff. It wasn't really this. So local back then was the right thing to do, but. As soon as I started working with a team, this whole thing changed. You know, we, we, we need to share kind of resources across different countries. Um, you know, we're using uh, staging environments and sandboxes that are very easy to set up nowadays, even easier than setting it up locally, um, as well as, uh, you know, it can just move right there. Like you're saying, Spencer, we also use Manage WP to just use it, uh, you know, back it up, uh, make sure that it's this just blocked or random kind of URL and you're good. So I don't see much value around this uh, from this ongoing kind of build. Um, but if you're a freelancer or if you're building, if you're actually coding something proper, then it is faster to do it locally. There's no doubt about this. You, know, you, you bring up one point, Vito, that I hadn't thought about, but it's worthy of us discussing, is that if you're working with a team, okay, you absolutely need version management Right. Yeah. So in other words, let's say two team members are working on the same problem. Now, hopefully you've figured out to assign out, you do this and I do that. But let's say you're crossing over on one of the files. You absolutely need something to prevent Bob from overriding Susie or Susie overriding Bob. Most of us, like even as a solopreneur, I still do my coding where I fix it locally and then I immediately version it to my, my own GitHub. Right. Just yeah, because yeah. later I want to be able to compare like, oh, I had a bad day and I totally broke something. What's the problem? So other than the versioning, I can't really think, or in a team, I can't really think of a compelling reason. I'm not saying speed is not an issue, but like speed is so fast. Like I can't even imagine that's the issue. It's more just habit maybe of maybe. why people do it locally. Why still, still do it like that? Yeah, yeah. There's, a, there's a lot of processes that are just kind of stuck from the old uh, internet kind of thing, you know? Um, yeah, speed for me is still a thing, you know? You build locally, you build faster. There's no doubt about it. Just loading the builder takes fast is faster. Um, but uh, yeah, but other than that, this, what is cool about what they're doing now is that now it's not only a, a flywheel, you know, agnostic. Now this is something that you can use on, uh, deploy this everywhere, which is, um, I think if anything, if anything, with a local tool, you would want to at least be able to yeah, do that, which is awesome that they did it right now. Yeah. Oh, and you know, got, I, I got Adrian. Adrian joining us as well. So thanks for joining us, Adrian. Um, we're talking about the um, Story One Flyreel launches Local Pro. What did you think of that, Adrian? Um, pass? <laughs> Let me catch up here real fast. Right, yeah, I'm just going to catch up. So shall we go on to story two then? Um, Coca-Cola, uh, Microsoft, Starbucks, Target, Unilever, um, on and on and on, are uh, um, pulling their ads from Facebook. What do you think of this one, Vito? Um, I can see why they're doing this. Uh, like, you know, it doesn't seem like it's such an honest kind of a step. Uh, what is interesting, though, is that um, even though, like, Facebook has been you know, called off by the Congress and by, you know, like world leaders worldwide, basically who got them to change their opinion a little bit is just their, their advertisers, which is natural. Uh, these, are, these are basically the customers. So it's nice that they're listening uh, from that angle and are addressing some of these issues that are happening within the Facebook ad system. Um, from a small business point of view, we're actually starting to leverage this situation because the least advertisers you have on Facebook, uh, the cheaper the ads. Uh, so we're getting better ROI on our ads whenever there are no elections or whenever there is something like that. Whenever everyone is pulling out, we actually uh, uh, push harder in. Uh, it's, really so, hard. Yeah. it's really hard how to respond to this because you don't know if it's just, you know, a temporary glitch and when things quiet down and they're all piled back in. Um, 
It you is. know, what can I do as a, like a, 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 when it comes to these things? Uh, you know, I, I do my things other way uh, in other ways, but when it comes to what drives the business, mm. uh, if I can uh, keep it going, and I will. So, what do you reckon, Spencer? I listened uh, to a podcast. The Wall Street Journal actually has a pretty clever podcast on a topic uh, a week or something. I was on my bike and they covered this topic. What was interesting to me, and I agree that, <clears throat> first of all, when, when the election's over, when hopefully we as a society have made progress on the virus and on the other Black Lives Matter and the other topics that have to do with like injustice and generally how we treat each other, <clears throat> the next big question is, do we want to go back as a society, a global society, to a world where social media allows the cesspool of hate and hate speech to be living in the same space as advertisers' brands? Because what this podcast talked about was the main reason <laughs> that the advertisers pulled out was there was a social and moral imperative <clears throat> of being associated without any reasonable way to track it <clears throat> across millions of ad impressions where there'd be a hate-filled, you know, bad story, this behavior sponsored by Coca-Cola or Tom Shoes or whatever. Like in the old days, if you put a show on CBS and you were the sponsor of the show, if something went wrong, you were on the phone with your ad manager like, hey, dude, this ain't happening. Give us a credit for $100 million back. Now they have no way of knowing where their Facebook or Twitter or Instagram ads were showing up, and even the companies themselves, like Facebook apparently, admitted that they had overestimated the number of views for the things charged by a factor of eight. So all what, the ad, what does that mean? In other words, earlier this year, or maybe it was earlier last year, Facebook had to do a mea culpa by they apparently overcalculated the amount of ad impressions for videos and otherwise by a factor of eight times. So people, the, the big brands were being charged eight times more than what they actually got exposure on. And they publicly admitted it. They finally had to concede to having a third party um, monitor their behavior. I forget what, what the company was, but the one that normally monitors ads on behalf of brands. But the, the, the point I'm getting at is that the problem is not that these brands are so moral. They're not. They're, they're only interested in the bottom line. But they're not stupid. They know no idea where their ads are showing up. They know if their ads get in the wrong place, it could be catastrophic under the, the high tense situation we're in with politics and race and talks about how we treat each other and health. Like It's a corrosive, explosive environment. And so they're going to die down, lay low. The big question, and this is... By the way, I want to tie it into something else since we only have four of us. I was having a debate with a good friend of mine who happens to have a different bent on how the world should work about how could it possibly be that there's four to 10 companies, Amazon at the top of the list, who have so much capital and so much political leverage and pay zero in taxes, how they can be given the ability to act as literally independent nation states to negotiate like one-to-one -one with the U.S. government as if they're peers about things like antitrust, about advertising behavior, about, you know, uh, employees' rights. Look at what your favorite mine, Amazon, is doing. I think it's really ugly. I love Amazon's business as far as what I use it for, but it's ugly that they took away the extra money to workers. It's ugly that, you know, they, they had $10 billion net profit and got not only zero in taxes, but got paid $122 million by the U.S. government when all the rest of us are paying 30 to 44% effective rate of self-employed people. So bottom line, we need to see what these people are doing. And next week, apparently all of them are going in front of Congress to report about their antitrust behaviors with this kind of stuff. We need to figure out as a society, are we going to allow this to happen? And if not, then we change the behavior. Not dissimilar to what happened around the turn of the century with the railroad barons. Like they, they eventually said to Carnegie and, and the, the rest of these guys, look, uh, you can't own all the railroads and not let anybody else use the tracks. And what do you reckon, Adrian? Your mic's off. There we go. I just uh, to select my microphone. It was, I'm back in the office finally. 
uh, because our province is allowed to go back to work now. So I, but my, my audio system was cannibalized when I got here. So I had to reset it up. Is, is my audio okay? Yeah, it's fine. It's yeah, it's good. All right, perfect. Okay, so talking about Coca-Cola. Um, I mean, these companies, like like Spencer said, these companies are, are, I don't mean, I don't know any of the shareholders or board members personally, but I don't think they're benevolent <laughs> in, their, in, in their entirety. They're doing what's best for their stock and their ROI and revenue and all of that good stuff. They will go back to Facebook when they can, you know, quantify that their ad spend is going to yield a return on their investment because at the end of the day, it's just all about the money that's coming in and the money that's going out. Uh, it's a prudent, like, as Spencer said, it's a prudent business decision to stop because the world is so like anti-Facebook and all of like the social media and, and, and the stuff that's spewing everywhere all over Facebook. And you don't want to necessarily associate your brand with that, especially when these companies have the broad reach that they do. It's different for stuff like us on this call because we have very targeted and focused markets. You know, I work with digital marketing agencies and, and, and that's my, my audience. These companies pretty much just market to everybody between the ages of 18 and 60, male, female, in every country where they have a presence. And when you have that kind of broad targeting, you can see your ads in unscrupulous areas and next to unscrupulous conversations. And you don't want that kind of negative. You know, if you had like a really bad experience and you're getting into a firefight on in the Facebook comments section, and the next thing you see scrolling down is a Coca-Cola ad, that's not good. You know, you're really like, ugh, Coca-Cola. So it's a prudent business decision on their point. And then as soon as it becomes a prudent business decision to start re-advertising on Facebook, they will do so. Yeah, I just don't know. You know, it's amazing how resilient Facebook is really, isn't it? You know, it really, its profitability hasn't really been affected at all by all this. Actually, it's gone up, hasn't it? Their profitability to some extent, only the virus probably has affected them. Um, what do you reckon, Andrew Palmer? He was on a few weeks ago, he's joined us. So what do you reckon, Andrew? Sorry about being late. I, well, Adrian, I'm going to go, I'm going to come to America when we're allowed to, and I'm going to just do a brain transfer because I don't get how he understands this so well because it is B2C marketing at the moment for um, anybody that's got brick and mortar or sell their stuff through brick and mortar stuff, you know, Coca-Cola, for instance, pubs, cafes, restaurants. Mm. In the UK, they're opening today. You know, well, tomorrow rather, and that's why I'm late because I'm at a restaurant and we're opening tomorrow, uh, just up the road from Vito, actually. But oh, nice. Adrian is completely right that this is not uh, a thing about Facebook being incorrect politically. This is about advertisers, big advertisers who spend millions on Facebook, realizing that. Actually, guys, this is a great excuse for us not to advertise at the moment. And as soon as we get back to a new normal, or we, we get to a new normal, we'll refocus and we'll actually even probably spend less on Facebook and advert online advertising in general. We'll get a better rate. <laughs> exactly, and they'll get a better rate. Then Facebook can go, "Welcome back!" You know, in, you know, here's your sixty-five percent discount. You know, we, we we're desperate for you to come back. And I don't think it will affect Facebook because Facebook, like you say, they're, they're a bit Teflon, aren't they? They can, do, you know, Mark Zuckerberg can basically do what he likes um, and has done what he likes. You know, he survived the um, Analytica scandal. He survived all sorts of other scandals and, and, and kind of inverted comma scandals and saying, well, it's not our fault if users abuse our system and all that kind of stuff. And he's hiding behind the fact that human beings are human beings some are great people, some are not so great people. So that's why he's defending this, you know, we'll let anybody anybody say anything on Facebook pretty oh, yeah. much because, yeah, uh, because I, he's hiding it back from the fact that humanity is, is at fault, not him, you know? Well, and so the of. advertisers are saying, we've got a great excuse to keep on point, like Adrian said, we've got a great excuse, we're going to save millions over the next two months. And that's it. Yeah, it's very I, 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 don't, I don't think... Um, 
the actual, that must be Facebook. Uh, um, I, that, <laughs> I, um, I don't think they ever, um, in some ways, I don't think they ever realised the kind of monster they were building, really. You know, it was just startup mentality, you know, on steroids. And But I think what they forgot is what Goebbels said, didn't he? He said, if you tell a lie a thousand times, it becomes the truth. Uh, um, and that's what Facebook has built. It's built, uh, in some ways, an enormous lie machine that people can just keep out pumping. No, no it hasn't. It's not. A, sorry, Jonathan. It's not. Facebook is not at fault here, right? Really, I really mean it. Social media is not at fault for what is being put on social media. Human beings are at fault for what's being put on social media. It's that simple. It's not the responsibility of the platform. It's the responsibility of the people that are using that platform to act in a very in a responsible and respectful way. Funny enough, Andrew, can I just interrupt, Andrew? Funny enough, um, uh, about a year ago, I exactly felt just like you. That was my position. But um, we had... uh, um, No, but... I still kind of understand your position and I partially still agree with it. But I just I just feel that these platforms, and I think Spencer put it quite well because we were talking about um, Katie, is it Katie Hopkins? Katie, um, yeah, Katie Hopkins, yeah. And she got banned from Twitter and we discussed it last week. And I, I'm not really... F- my natural stance is not to be very um, pro banning people from social media, but when you when you look at her remarks in the totality of her remarks that women and children are cockroaches, that uh, Muslim people should be gassed, exterminated. When when you look at the remarks, uh, I think I think in the end I don't think they had any, and Spencer really put it quite well last week. I just don't think they had any. They had a banner in the end because of the totality of her remarks. You know, I can I completely agree, Johnson, because it's it's the responsibility of the of the platform to ban people that are like Katie Hopkins. No doubt about it. The only responsibility that they how have... Does that, how does that work with what you've just said, though, when you no, say... Because, that, because, because that, what no I'm saying it's not their fault. I'm saying it's not the social media's fault that human beings are horrible. You know, that's what I'm saying. So the faith, it is their responsibility to monitor the advertising so they make sure that advertising, because they're taking money for that, to monitor that advertising, make sure there's no lies, no racism, no sexism, no genderism, whatever it, whatever it needs to be controlled. In in out out there, control is the wrong word, but but um, measured. And then well, it you just seems to, to me, it just seems to me, Andrew, they want it both ways. They, well, why, why, they you know, know. I want it both, but I want it. I want it both ways. I I think that if you can spot the liars and the racists and the sexists, that's a great thing. And if social media is allowing me to do that, I cannot tell you how many people I've blocked from my personal Facebook page and Twitter during the last seven weeks, maybe even two months, because I'll keep interrupting you. You're going to block me, aren't you? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It's not the platform's fault for humanity's failings. That's that's my basic point. It's more of a, it's more of an enablement issue. Yeah, I suppose so. Yeah, I suppose it's it's put all this on steroids really, hasn't it, Andrew? It's like like how money magnifies the person you are. Give a person a megaphone and it's ten times worse. (laughs) Yeah, so, you know, you have got that argument because you you can argue that they they just, they'll always be there. They they just go, you know, they just go under stones, but they... Um, but they're still there, you know. I think you should rewatch the social network and understand that Zuckerberg understood completely what he was doing. He knew you know that the, the new uh, John Stewart movie I saw with Steve Carell, the uh, about how politics and social media and everything works. I got to look up the name of it for a second. But what was fascinating, and I'm reading in this Forbes article about the. Uh, Parlor, the, the Adrian just. I was just yeah, I was just about is, to is, mention that is that the problem for a lot of this stuff 
is intermingled with politics, let's be honest, because the, the reason why these things are allowed or not allowed to happen has as much to do with which side red or blue you're on in America as it does with anything else. Because when you read these articles, and we can talk about the next, like some of these political pundit, you know, strategists, whatever, I mean, literally, it's as if they just checked their, their humanity or conscious regard for other humans at the door, and they look at everything and every person as if it's some kind of a board game. And just the whole concept of like what we're talking about, if you took a step back and you said like, wait a second, like, why are we arguing or debating about whether, you know, neo-Nazis or Confederates or this or that should be allowed to have, like, isn't it just really plain as yes or no? But the truth is the political pundits, especially on the, on the conservative side, know that all their votes and their political futures and fortunes lie with getting a certain amount of people who think a certain way to back them up. And that's just really strange behavior, but that's the way it is. And so yeah. that's what we're talking about. We're talking about power, control, politics, ideology, as much as we're talking about, hey, just like does Zuckerberg allow this or that to happen? Yeah, and sure. it's it's bizarre. It's like almost living in a like a like a movie or a, a it's novel. Like a, it's like a Stephen King film, isn't it? Living I mean, in America I, at the present moment. You, you guys are British, so you maybe hear from your grandparents or something else. But like, what it was like in World War II. I mean, to be in a place where like the ideology of a country could literally cause the entire world to get into this like literally physical killing each other battle. This is not physically killing each other, but it sort of is with some of the decisions that are being made around ideology right now with healthcare and masks and all the other stuff. So it's just a really weird, weird place to be in that all these things are mixed together. Right. We're going to go for our break. We've got some other great stories. We'll be back in a few moments. Are you a WordPress consultant, designer, or small digital agency owner? Then you need WP Tonic as your trusted white label developer partner for your next big e-learning or WooCommerce project. WP Tonic has the knowledge to help you build out custom functionality that your clients need in LearnDash, Lifter LMS, and WooCommerce. WP Tonic is well known and trusted in the WordPress community. They stand behind their work with a full, no question asked, 30-day money-back guarantee. So don't delay. Find out how WP Tonic's white label services can help your agency today. Go to wp-tonic.com's homepage and book a free consultation with Jonathan. That's wp-tonic, just like the podcast. Coming back, talked about the woes of Facebook. I'm getting a bit bored, but he keeps consistently, uh, there's always a story about Facebook. I love the cockroaches. Right, there we go. Uh, I'm on to story three, and um, Spencer pointed this one out to me, and it was on the tavern. The best documentation is no documentation. What did you like about this, Spencer? Well, first of all, it's a Justin Tedlock flashback article. Yeah. Uh, I was surprised the bent that he took on it wasn't what I expected from him. But the, the argument is essentially... Do you or do you not properly document your, let's say, presumably WordPress software? Because the argument is had that if you do it the right way, it should be so intuitive that people don't need documentation. The counter argument is, though, if you don't properly document it or you document it in a half ass way, you look like a moron or a rookie. And I think there's good arguments on both sides of it. I've taken the tact of prioritize your documentation five steps down the road from actually releasing the product into the wild. I can speak to other products I've built, but with launch flows, nothing could be even more demonstrative of this fact because what it started out being was the, the glimmer of what it ended up being. But by the time we got to what it ended up being, any documentation that I had made in the way of videos and stuff, I had to flush down the toilet in the dark of the night to avoid people being confused by what the hell am I looking at now? And I think Listen, that's be, the be way to the whole year. I mean, that's the way to do it because like, if you literally just like, Oh, let's document everything along the way. You're just wasting your time. Wait till you get to the end of the journey and then write a story about your trip. Don't write it as you go. That's my opinion. And I think um, you, you've all, sorry to interrupt Vita, but you also got, you got like, we were talking to uh, Will, um, um, yesterday that works for Chris and the Lifter LMS crew. And, he, you know, he's produced a ton of training, but he produced it through YouTube. There's, there's, 
there's kind of third parties, there's ways around this, you know. Sorry, Vita, what was you going to say? Um, so I, I like your approach, Spencer, but like I wouldn't say that we didn't have any documentation. What did happen is exactly what you're saying. Every video that was created uh, was irrelevant a week after because we were building so fast. Uh, so at some point, I just kind of like released for a little bit, you know, so like, all right, fine. The gist of it is out there. We have a, like a knowledge base with like how to install and you take a screenshot, where is this license and all of these kind of things, which, you know, I don't know why people are like, how, why do they need this? Uh, but they do like uh, they, I can see that people are clicking through and are enjoying the, it helps them. Um, what we did now is, is what you're saying, Spencer, and that was like a huge project. I had to kind of uh, create all of the documentation from scratch again, one year in. And it seems like this is going to be like a yearly project that takes like two months out of the year of rebuilding the documentation of video series and all of that. Uh, yeah, it's finally done. Uh, but um, but I see the pain point in there. Something that, that uh, he was talking about when it comes to maybe, and this is a great point to think about, maybe the reason why you need documentation is because your product is not clear enough. Um, and that's, that's why people kind of maybe need to be pushed to the right directions. Well, I was going to um, say, which, like infotorial is what I think happens, is that if you're building a product that you don't know 100% who the fit is for or the fit is a little unclear, a lot of times the information comes out as an informational tutorial. Like, I'm selling you on this concept and here's how you do it. Do you agree? Is this what you want? Should you do it this way? And I know Adrian can jump in on his stories because I've been watching what Groundhog's been doing. We all have built products where we thought it was going to be one thing and it turned out to be another because people said, I don't really want to do this. I want to do the other thing. Yeah, what do you reckon, Adrian? Right, and you build it all the time. That's the, the like that's the ongoing game of this thing. Uh, uh, but uh, um, when it comes to like the features and user experience, what I'm thinking is that we have a few plugins that are very self-explanatory and they don't need any support. Just they're just out there. Uh, but uh, when you have a platform, when you have something that is intricate, as what we all have here on this panel, um, it's very important to just illustrate what you meant. Because like, uh, like you're saying, Spencer, sometimes people don't have that same kind of uh, um, postulate in their mind when they look at that feature, when they click on that button. Uh, exactly. So just to, to explain the use case uh, so that they can use it properly in the intended way. Right. So, uh, Jonathan, what I think as a vendor marketplace um, owner, you know, we've got 200 vendors, and uh, I would say 30 of them uh, have good documentation. So we've reached out to them every time they load up a new product. This isn't getting launched until you get documentation. We actually have an intro video to the vendors to say, to show them what good documentation is from a, a particular vendor that we've got. And that has improved the documentation. What the benefit of good documentation is that you can make it available as part of the sales process. So if you have a video intro, you have good documentation of how to install it and what's actually going to be installed, that's your sales process in one. So because if people understand the product, if it's slightly complex, they will then know they, they, they will have confidence to buy it because they'll have confidence to use it. So I think uh, this article, which I've read, is off point to a degree with more complex use cases yes if it's just if it's just a, a a plug and play plugin then no problem you've got to rely on the user's ability to use wordpress yeah or I, I i kind of tend to agree with you actually andrew uh, the reason why i did a review on kajabi um, i did a video on kajabi and i tried to though obviously i'm biased to wordpress but i made that clear but one of the really great things about Kajabi, and it is a complicated, you know, it's a whole platform, isn't it? But one of the good things about Kajabi is the quality of the documentation yeah. and the onboarding videos. They have a set of onboarding videos and just the quality of the online documentation is pretty impressive. But you still, I do, I, I built, 
20 LMS systems within using Kajabi or 20 courses for clients, you still have people who are desperate for help. And Kajabi consultants are unbelievably expensive, or are they the right price? I don't know. But they're to me, you know, between five and 20 grand, they'll charge you just to set up your online course. Yep, better become now, a Kajabi not... consultant, don't I? Yeah, uh, exactly. uh, there we go. So, uh, sod, you, sod I renamed it. I renamed it. The Kajabi show. Uh, um, oh, oh, Adrian, what do you reckon? So it's been mentioned a couple times, but there are two types of products. There is utility products and then there's platform products. Uh, I have an extensive platform product with over, with close to 50 components that can be installed or not installed. And a lot of the times it's just not obvious. And this is possibly a fault. And I think what the article is making the case of, it should be obvious and you should be striving to make it obvious. I, I, I think I probably operate at this point, one of the most complex and extensive plugin suites currently available, maybe after WooCommerce and EDD and, and maybe some of the LMS systems. But right after that comes Groundhog at this point, uh, just because of its extensibility. I'll and, be truthful, I don't know how you do it. And, it's, uh, <laughs> and, you know, stuff like DNS record management for configuring... Uh, mailing for like SendGrid and AWS and that stuff is like they don't make it obvious either. So we end up writing documentation for those services on their behalf and it's become, we have like hundreds of, of documentation articles because when, it, when, you, when you get to that size and level of like customizability and you do, it's like a one size fits all solution when you choose the products that you want to use with us then it, it, it just it's it's too hard to make it like click this button and then it's like all set up for you. It's just it's it becomes not really in the realm of possibility, at least for the size of team that I have and the amount of resources at my disposal. But it but it also cuts down your support, right? Because yeah, you've, absolutely, it's fantastic knowledge base. So people, you say, go to the knowledge base, and that's that's how it's done. You don't have to guide people through it. I have the, my three most popular articles are how do I install an extension? Um, how do I add DNS records for SendGrid? Uh, and why are my emails not sending? Like those are, those are probably some of like the three most popular WordPress support issues, not only for my products, but ever. ever. <laughs> <laughs> like, like if you had to choose three, I think it would be those ones. DNS records, uh, why are my emails not going out? And uh, how do I install a plugin or an extension like that? Yeah, my, my, my form isn't being sent to me. That's the most, that's exactly that's incredible. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, documentation is kind of just like a reality of the WordPress ecosystem because WordPress in and of itself is often not self-explanatory either. So it's different if you had like a utility SaaS product. Let's say you had like an analytics tool where all you did was you hooked it up via OAuth to X SaaS product and it just showed you a really nice dashboard of your reports. I think Monster Insights, if anybody uses Monster Insights, yeah, is, a, is a good example of that, yeah. where you just install it and you just look at the reports and it's pretty super simple and the only documentation that they really need is to connect it to Google Analytics, which they don't make it easy. So it's, it's an inescapable reality. Uh, I find that the, the, the few things that help me minimize the amount of documentation that I do need to create is WordPress plugins, after being installed, should redirect to whatever guidance setup that they can provide right. automatically so that they don't need to find it in the menu and you've automatically removed their support ticket because you'll get, without that, you'll get the support ticket where do I go to configure this? If it's if it's just in the menu hiding under the settings page, for example, which a lot of plugins do. After you install it, it should automatically redirect to either the setting page or a guided setup. Like the wizard, yeah, like some kind of yeah, the wizard. Yeah. Number all two, in one, all in one SEO with does an with, with an off switch. Pardon? All in one SEO has only with, just started doing that. No, I'd say Adrian, your comment is well taken, but only with the caveat with an off switch because. <laughs> If you don't need off switches. Your, if I install your plugin and you re redirect me, I'm going to hate you. Hate really? you so badly. Because, every, because the same reason like when you install the outstanding uh, WooCommerce plugin, it secretly 
makes you go install the uh, the new WooCommerce Pages. accessories plugin without telling you, and oh, right. it also forces you forces you now to go through that stupid I want do you want to go through our new setup thing or not? There's no like do it later or skip. It's just yes or no, and you're stuck. If you force somebody to redirect for that purpose, I would hate you. Not you personally. Well, I, you're, you're entitled to your opinion, I suppose. And you could be right, and, but it seems to be working well for us, and we don't receive any yours more support tickets about yours it now. doesn't redirect. <laughs> yours just shows a welcome screen. That's not the same thing I understood you to say. If you show a welcome screen, fine. That makes sense. Yours is actually pretty pleasant. I know what it is. I know where it's located. I can come back to it. But you said the word redirection, so maybe we just need to clarify. I, so I, when you I'm install a plugin, it takes you to the guided setup. You page. go through the yeah. seven steps. You input your settings. You get yeah. the discount code. You I'm sign up and you download the stuff that you need. I'm being pedantic because I'm old and cranky, and you kids today drive me crazy. <laughs> but otherwise, your point is well taken. I'm against the idea of hijacking the process for anybody's experience. So when I install a plugin, and that's what I try to do myself. But the problem is people I, get lost then. And it's, it's but, all about avoiding getting people lost because you, you can eliminate so many support tickets by just taking them to where they need to go. I, I think that can be handled more elegantly. And again, I'm not taking issue with the way you do things, although I do feel there's a difference between that. And <laughs> I think if you make your plugin where it has a very clear in the plugin tab itself, this is where you get help. This is where your thing is in your tab. Because let's be honest, everybody's competing in the left-hand side of the WordPress admin dashboard for space. You just have your title and your icon. If when I go there, it shows me very clearly what my documentation link is, that's the way to do it in my opinion. Because otherwise, everything you're doing is like vying for attention in a crowd of other things. It, and then it doesn't work, Spencer. Divi have been doing that for the last two years, pointing out the documentation and uh, in the Divi Facebook group, people are asking the dumbest questions, and they're fine. There's no such thing as a dumb question, right? Excuse the phone, you know, I'm in someone else's office. And, and they are still asking Facebook, those questions. Facebook. I get it. And they're still asking those questions. So it doesn't work. So it, to be redirected to a page within your dashboard is the best way to do it, really. I, whether you've got a personal preference of, of that or not, people need to be guided. No matter what you say, push through process. You know, uh, that's presuming everybody's. I, your point is well taken, except that's presuming that everybody who's doing it is a first timer. Yeah, exactly. If, already, if you've done it once, why do? Listen, Adrian. If I have a hundred clients all putting in Groundhog, every single time I put in Groundhog, I got to be taken to another page. That's one more thing. But you're times only two percent of the market. Well, I'm just right? saying there are people. There are people. Yeah, that's you're not special, Spencer. Can I interrupt? Because I, I don't think it's an all one or zero game. I think what you pointed out, um, Spencer, um, during the conversation was like you just need the option to be able to switch. Yeah, it I'm saying give you a pro switch or a beginner switch. Maybe that's part of WordPress, to be fair. Maybe this is less to do with our problem. And maybe it's more to do with the problem of WordPress. For example, why is it that I should have all that other crap installed by default by WordPress where it makes decisions? Maybe when I do my initial setup of WordPress, I can choose. I'm advanced. I'm a beginner. And if I'm a beginner, the default setting is all these like helper things turn on. Otherwise, not. Likewise, maybe I can choose Gutenberg or not and so forth. So I, I do find your point actually makes a lot of sense. But I'm just saying from the standpoint of, the first time using thing versus the second, third, fourth, having any more things thrown at you or installed without my permission or like forcing me into a corral just annoys the hell out of me. And that's and I what, think, and I think what the most disappointing thing, Spencer, is WooCommerce and the way they're doing it because they're the worst of the worst, aren't they? For sure. I mean, you know, th yeah. there's no easy answer here because the platform is so flexible, but the onboarding of the platform is really left to other people's decisions. Like they force with every update of WordPress what the defaults are. Maybe, maybe that's where the, the answer lies, but say love it. Spencer, let me, let me just give you an analogy, right? When you get in your car, you have to use your key or a key fob. You open the door, you sit in your car, you turn the car engine on, you look at your alarms, you then put the clutch down or just put it, put it into drive, put your seatbelt on and off you go. That's the process. And every single plugin 
who that is coming out recently, even when you update all-in-one SEO, it takes you back to its own welcome screen. That cannot be a bad thing because it may have been updated to such a degree that you've missed something. And the same with Yoast, the same with many... WordPress does this after you update WordPress. They take you Here's all the new things. It's just okay, a process. But I, but, I, but I have the reciprocal argument. Andrew, you and I are old enough to remember. Remember there was a point in time when cars by law were required to have that automatic seatbelt attached to the door that when you got in the car... It was like you had you had to like do a tightrope under the door because the seatbelt automatic because they said you're too fuck effing stupid to put on your own seatbelt. Sorry. The point is, remember how annoying that was? It was so annoying that they removed the mandate, and those cars only lasted for like a year and a half, two years. And then they said, "Oh, everybody's mature enough to put on their own seatbelt." My point is not that this is black and right. You're wrong. I'm right. It's that I do agree with your point. There are a subset of people, or maybe all beginners, who need this. But anybody else who's using the plugins professionally or on a regular basis, it just becomes one more seatbelt that's wrapped around your neck without your permission. And it becomes annoying to get into that car. Yeah, I, I will just, I'll just put in some anecdotal data. I serve probably 1,200 businesses in more than 30 countries, and you're the first person to ever complain. <laughs> I'm not complaining like it's a complaint, but also with all fairness, you and I are in the same position, although you're ahead of the, the game. You have a new product with new people using it for the first time. It's all relatively in the early days. And that's part of the whole process of learning what's annoying, what's not. I don't think your onboarding is annoying. I didn't say it. I said, if you forced me to redirect to something and I didn't have a choice, I would hate you. And I still stand by that because at the end of the day, if I had to use your product regularly on all my clients as a utility, as I hope it will one day be, I would want to have the choice of just turning it on and calling it a day, not having to go back and click back from another screen. That's it. Right. Uh, I'm going to drop one story. I'm just going to go on to story six because I think, and then we go on to our recommendations and then we wrap up this puppy. Um, CCPA enforcement starts now and most companies aren't ready. And this is concerning the California uh, um and I think it's around privacy. Um, you've got to have a privacy policy in that. I've, I think you probably know a little bit about this, Adrian. What did you think of this story? So if you're a business and you're compliant with GDPR and you're compliant with CASEL, Canadian Anti-Spam Legislation, GDPR being General Data Protection Regulation, then you're pretty much already pre-covered. Uh, there is a specific clause I think you have to add to your privacy policy for California residents, um, but you can probably just Google uh, CCPA and get the blurb and just stick that in your privacy policy, and you're pretty much covered. Uh, the rest of any of the infrastructure that's needed to handle uh, requests, like deinformation requests from California residents, can also already be processed by your existing GDPR infrastructure. So not a whole lot to do. If you're not compliant with uh, GDPR or CASEL, then I recommend you go do that uh, and you'll pretty much get like 99% of the way there to being compliant with CCPA. Uh, and there's so much documentation on GDPR compliance now. And WordPress has GDPR compliance tools. Uh, Groundhog has GDPR compliance tools. Most major CRM and marketing automation tools have GDPR compliant tools. So it's a very, very, very short step. You just have to add a little blurb in your privacy policy uh, pertaining to California residents. You can get a copy of that blurb just by Googling it. Uh, it's good for everybody. It's not like they're making you not able to send emails to anybody. That's not what's happening. It's just making sure that California residents' information is protected. You're not selling it to anybody or doing anything unscrupulous with it, which most people aren't, unless you're a spammer, in which case, you know, there's 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 not much I can say that will help you. <laughs> but uh, go do GDPR. You'll be 90% of the way. Get the blurb. You're pretty much good to go, and it's not necessarily something that you need to worry about in detail, especially if you're not an organization based in California. The, the special thing that they've added and correct me if I'm wrong, because I'm I am often wrong. But I think it's the "do not sell my data" link to a special form. I think that's part of CCPA rather than GDPR, because that's that's not included in GDPR. You can you can get around that just by not selling people's data. <laughs> most most organizations that are going to be watching this show are going to be 
uh, small businesses and they're doing their own thing, creating courses, selling WordPress plugins, whatever it is that you do, you can, you can easily solve that just by putting a big disclaimer in your terms of service and or privacy policy that says, we don't sell any data, you're good to go. And then, uh, and that, that saves you there. Uh, what's concerning is the amount of organisations, small and large, that have come across. This is they don't have a privacy or terms or or terms of use. You can go to something like Termageddon Privacy Policy Generator, Terms of Service Generator. Just get it done. It'll it'll take you an hour at most. You what basically at this point today, you they have generators. You just select a few options. You input your business name, and it automatically generates terms of service and privacy policy for you. You don't need to hire a lawyer. You don't need to do any of that. You can spend, it's usually you get them for free. If you want to go with something like Termageddon, they will give you, it's like a SaaS product. They'll give you for $99 a year or something. It's automatically generated and updated with the new privacy policy requirements, stuff like CCPA and GDPR. So that's a that's a really it's interesting a red story. herring. This whole thing's a red herring. I could speak as an attorney as well as a marketer. The reason this is a red herring is it only applies. And by the way, your advice is spot on. I'm not saying if you're concerned about this, and a lot of people are. Like I've had people in the past that were concerned about the cookie law, and then they were concerned about the GDPR and all that. And they're in America, and I'm like, you got you're not. Who's going to come for you? Some guy from Germany is going to come to your house? Like it's irrelevant. But this, even if you're an American citizen with an American company, is a red herring because you need to either have $25 million of revenue. Wow. If you get to that point, I'm pretty sure you got a corporate lawyer. On <laughs> yeah, or 50,000 customers, consumer information. If you got 50,000 customers, pretty sure you got a lawyer. And finally, earn more than half of your revenue from selling their personal info. If you're a scammer who's selling stuff, even though you don't have 25 million and 50,000 customers, then you probably need to worry about a lot of other things anyway. So for almost every person who's possibly selling stuff in WordPress, even all of our friends here who are relatively well-known. I'm one of those people. Apply. None of these I'm apply. Not, I'm not the scammer, but I've got, you know, got 90,000 customers, but we don't sell the data. It's so. not possessing the personal information because what probably happens is the people buy the stuff and then if they're a customer, they stay on the list. And if they're not, they come off the list. Now, I know you have subscribing stuff. You may be on the edge case, in which situation you ask yourself, what do I got to do? Adrian's advice is sound. But again, Irish. whether you do it yourself or not, it's, it's just do the minimum necessary. The thing that bothers me about all these like various statutes and laws around the world, we live in a global economy. How many websites, honestly, all you guys, have you visited today or yesterday? Where the first thing you have to do, because I am that cranky old man, oh, first the cookie law thing pops up that I got to press. Then the GDPR thing pops up. Then I got to press it. Then the terms of service thing. By the time I'm done, I've clicked three different things on every website. None of them mean anything to me anymore because it's info warning overload. And in the law, we learn about like with products liability, there's a point at which the entire product is covered with stickers. So nobody possibly follows any of the advice. This I, suppose, is I suppose this would be more relevant if your business is like a lead aggregator for lawnscaping companies, right? You, you, yeah. you, run, you run ads and they end up the landing page and you redistribute those ads for however many dollars per lead Right. per month to whatever, whatever. Like a company. retargeter company or something. Or know? like a business directory and your, you know, companies are listing and then you're reselling those listings to other directories or, or whoever. Yeah. That's the kind of company that needs to pay a little bit closer attention if they're operating in California. Um, right. I mean, and, and if, you're in, if you're in Europe come, or, or you're doing European come, companies GDPR. Come Californians, come to sunny Nevada. That's, that's yeah. why I'm personally, I'm offering Andrew personal legal representation. Should they come to get him in England? Uh, from California, I will come and represent you on this case. It's okay. We've got lawyers in uh, in, uh, in IMH. There's, no, there's so many should, rules. I, I do want to qualify one thing, though. 50,000 is not necessarily paying customers. It's the number of people on your list, right? So it's the number of unique email addresses or, or personal information that you have, not, not necessarily if they ever gave you money, just as long as they signed up and you have their information. But, which is a good point, but that begs the question on the topic that I will be talking about on the 7th with Jonathan about when you do automation, marketing automation these days, do you retain a list 
of people who are not paying you today or likely to pay you in the near future. Because, I will argue, that is like keeping a black book of people you dated in high school, even though you're 50 something years old. You're not likely to call those people anymore. They're not doing anything for you. And they're not even the same people when you met them. So why keep them around? And I know I it's argue- not relevant for today's discussion. There, there, there is relevance if you're collecting like analytical data that you're using to create reports on averages, email open rates for historical reasons. But- retargeting, retargeting. Again, mm-hmm. retargeting, again, there's a debate. I admit there's lots of strategies, but like if somebody is acknowledged, I'm not paying you today. I'm not interested in the near future and paying you. Then just take them offline. And in the future, five years from now, you can have a reunion, like throwback Thursday to remember when you guys were interested in my product? Because if they aren't constantly interested, we live in such a dynamic world. Why keep lists of people who clearly don't have a need for your pain solution today or tomorrow? That's my argument. Yeah. Because right. they, might, they might have it tomorrow. Yeah, they might. All right, yeah. How many tomorrows? Tomorrow, tomorrow. Many tomorrows. Tomorrow. Maybe you will have a different offer tomorrow. If you keep annoying people, they'll let you know how many tomorrows away they want to see you. Yeah, they can leave. They can leave at any time. But they're going to tell you with an F and an O how quickly they want you to keep bothering them. And that's the point. We live in a world where Facebook is doing that. And that was our first story, which is like, hey, I already said I'm not interested by my lack of interest or my telling you specifically to go away, but you keep bothering me. And I'm saying that's what's wrong with our marketing like concepts that are evolving today of people keeping lists is that lists don't do anything. It's today, do you want a relationship or tomorrow, not six months so. from now. No, I think got disagreement. Um, so let's wrap this. Let's go with our recommendations in a week. And I, um, I was the contrarian today. It was fun. For the first time. There you go. My recommendation is, um, where, where is my recommendation? Oh, here we go. My recommendation is a book called Miracrocity. Um, and it's, um, I'll put the link in. Um, it's about what the truth, it's a, it's a, it's a guy um, he teaches at Princeton and he wrote this book about the delusion that education um, is there to make everybody equal, and that and what's happened to American edu- American and British education, and the reality of the situation is quite interesting. I put it in. So um, let's start with our guest, Adrian. Uh, have you got any recommendations? Anything you want to plug? Yeah, so the the Groundhog third-party developer community uh, has started a while ago. There's We only have a couple or, or, or a few developers right now, but I want to feature one of our third-party community developers. His name is Colin Longworth, and he's just a really, really, really smart guy. Uh, he actually lives in Canada, in Hamilton, not too far away from me. I met him once, just super kind, has a great accent. And uh, he created a cool integration with a service called banks.io. And what it allows you to do is you can set up, uh, if someone registers for a course or maybe some sort of product on your site, you can set up in a funnel uh, integration with banks.io, which will send them something like a thank you card or a post-it card uh, in the mail physically so they can get that and have that, uh, that wow factor. So that's a really, really unique way of doing uh, customer satisfaction and customer happiness, customer success uh, with Groundhog and with like physical parcel delivery. So that's really cool. So you can check that out on his uh, site, which is wooninja.io. I'll make sure it's in the chat. Everything you recommend, put in the chat for us. Can you panel? So, so Andrew, is there anything you want to plug and recommend? There is actually, because I sold uh, part of, well, I sold half of my business to uh, of, of uh, PageBuilder Cloud and LayoutsCloud.com to Melissa Love uh, because she's working with Sean Barton and they've developed a, a plugin called SitePressor. So it, like, it was almost the marriage made from heaven, you know, so it's, it's great to put Layouts Cloud and PageBuilder Cloud together and then have SitePressor. So a lot of people have been using TGM and whatever and trying to build themes and child themes for everything. So it works with Divi, Elementor, any kind of WordPress theme, I just did it with, with Gutenberg. So I created a website and I made an, a, an installable theme with SitePressor. So you can go to elegantmarketplace.com, search for SitePressor and you can get it. But it's amazing. It took me 
less than five minutes to make a site that I make that that I've already made and built, and then make that into a sellable theme with all the WordPress plug all the WordPress.org plugins already installed. And you install it as a plugin. It's one of the best plugins I've ever seen in my life, apart from WP feedback and whatever, Groundhog and everything like that. But the point is, is that it will change the way themes are developed. I'm certain of it, you know, because you've got great designers out there that use Elementor and Divi and other page builders and Gutenberg, and you can actually make a design a beautiful theme and have no issues about exporting the customizer, the theme files, the images, everything, and then and making it a sellable, installable theme. So it's great for web developers. If they want a quick start theme, they can they can go to Layout Cloud, make it, or go to Page Builder Cloud, make it, and boom, SitePressor will give you an installable plugin that installs all of the all of the files, including all the customizer files as well. That's great. So make sure the link. Product. Make sure the links in chat. Can you? It's in there. It's in right. there. Um, Spencer, got anything you want to recommend? Yeah, I had the good pleasure of using a, a product that has been around for a bit now. It's software. It's Streamyard. Dot com And the reason I find it very useful, I have nothing to do with it directly other than using it, is that they've really reinvented the concept of how you could do spontaneous video, especially with other people. Uh, essentially, the key component is it records it live and sets up a studio where you have some controls, but it does it in browser, and then it lets you pre-configure a sharing to your social media. So the other day, I did a spontaneous video, a five-minute tutorial, just for the heck of it. Rather than recording it as a normal, let's say, screen share using Loom or my local you know, Mac recorder, I just did it this way. And even though I only had one monitor, it works best if you have two, so you can kind of monitor you know, the things. Uh, it's got these high-end controls like overlays and uh, in, in fifths, and you can divide the screen like, and the quality is really good, and it's free to start with, and they even have a phone app. So anybody who's thinking of doing any kind of content for training, education, you could do it like a live event, have the recording, use that recording afterwards for, hey, your documentation, what you're making, or hey, for, you know, recording it into your archives. Um, so definitely high fives to them. And I would say we're going to hear more from them in the Zoom environment because you could get a group of people together in a private way record the call as like a presentation and then have it for internal or external use. Okay. i have a look at it. I know you mentioned it before. It was yeah. um, when you were on um, the Matt I was, report. I was on um, with uh, Mark, uh, Matt, Mader Matt Madaris' show. And yeah, he yeah, had what he was using, wasn't it? And, and I had already bought the premium version of it because I was fascinated, but I, he really put it to great use. Because he, like if you have people who comment live or chat, it, you can even have it where the, like, the question pops up on the screen in words, which is awesome because that way everybody can see instead of just reading like somebody wrote this. I think it would, it would actually work good on this show because I know you have oftentimes problems getting Zoom to do what you needed to do. That would stream the show directly to... Uh... Yeah, I have a look at it. Thanks for that. Beto, got anything you want to recommend? I do. There is something interesting happening from uh, Google. Uh, they just launched this thing called uh, Web Stories WP. Uh, so this is still in beta, actually. But the point of what it seems is that uh, we're going to start seeing on our Google search results stories. And in order for us to have the ability to create those stories, they're giving, this, they're giving the ability to do it through WordPress, uh, at least to begin with so that you can just like drag and drop. They created a bit of a tool to drag and drop and create like Instagram or Facebook or whatever stories uh, that are designed specifically for Google. Um, what, I, what I found is that they're trying to basically get to, they're just trying to create, a, 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 to beautify their search results. And uh, through this platform, they're hoping that this is actually what's going to help them get there. And also, it seems like they're educating for mobile first. Everything seems like mobile and you drag and drop. So I think they're also trying to kind of uh, train designers to start thinking mobile first uh, with the way that they build websites through this tool, which is essentially a visual builder, um, but for this use case. Very cool. All right, thanks for that. And uh, before we end the show, I just want to say that me and Spencer are going to be doing a free webinar 
you'd probably be listening to this on Monday. Um, the next day, Tuesday the 7th, you'll be able to join us at 9am Pacific Standard Time. Um, all you have to do is go to the WP Tonic website. In the top navigation, there's a button that says free webinar, and you can join us. By doing that, you'll be able to ask us questions at the end of the presentation. And I'm sure that Spencer will use his enormous intelligence and wit to answer your questions. Uh, I, I cannot say I can compare with it, but I will try. Uh, Rob, it should be a fun show. But it should be a fun show. Um, um, we will be covering his own great product. We'll be covering WP Fusion, how you can use the two together. You're bound to learn something by watching Spencer. It should be fun. So please join us. Um, I'm going to let the panel. Um, so, uh, Andrew, um, how can people find out more about you and what you're up to, Andrew? Uh, you can go to Twitter at Arnie Palmer. Dot, at, at Arnie Palmer. Spelled exactly like that. A R N I E Palmer. Um, and you can go to Facebook Page Builder um, and WordPress Facebook group. And you can always find me on Elegant Marketplace if you really need me. Um, and at the moment, I'm in a restaurant. So, Vito, what do you want for takeaway? You can give me a call later. Okay, okay. I like that. Uh, and I, I, we're really busy just trying to launch these restaurants tomorrow. We've got three to launch tomorrow to, to reopen up out of lockdown. But, um, yeah, that's where you can get me. At on, oh, on. well, thank you so much for agreeing to join us um, this morning. It's appreciated, Andrew. Um, Adrian, got any, uh, mate, what's the best way for people to find out more about you and what you're up to? Uh, so if you're looking to be compliant with CCPA and you need to, in order to do that, you need a list of at least 50,000, we can help you generate that. You can go to groundhog2gs.io to get our CRM and marketing automation tool to help you grow your list, launch your funnel, and scale your business. And Spencer, how can people find out more about you and what you're up to? Uh, come visit me at launchflows.com or in the Facebook group at uh, facebook.com groups launch flows and uh, we can talk about anything related to the stack or stuff including your groundhog or your crm needs and your marketing automation and how that works together with your wp fusion stuff which we'll focus on uh, when we see you on the 7th Vito, how can people find out more about you and have you got any of your champagne still left actually I, oh, yes. i much do <laughs> <laughs> Because I haven't really drank it. I just, uh, well, I drank like a couple of glasses and then it just stayed here for like a week since the last uh, since I did that video. I, I don't yeah. think it'll be good anymore. <laughs> no, it's not good. It's just, uh, it's just still here. That's the only thing. <laughs> uh, but yeah, you can find me at wpfeedback.co. We celebrated one year, as Jonathan just mentioned, um, uh, just last week. So uh, yeah, everyone is welcome to join. A lot of, uh, and even find that kind of video on YouTube, the one year anniversary to see what we've been up to. We did loads this year and it's a pretty cool uh, video to watch. Yeah, I'm going to join your community and try and be more active in, awesome. in the next few weeks. Um, it's something that I've been putting on my list of things I've got to do. So uh, we're tempted. And it's a great product, folks. Um, and Vito's a friend of the show and he's always welcome as the panelists. I think we've had a great show, folks. We'll be back next Friday with another list of stories, another great panel. Join us. It's always great. I always enjoy these shows. I'll see you next week, folks. Bye. Thanks for listening to the WP Tonic Podcast, the podcast that gives you a dose of WordPress medicine twice a week.